A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest And a very good morning to you and it was lovely to wake up to a little bit of sunshine today. Long may it continue. John Fall is taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Anything you want to share with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. You can text her WhatsApp 0862103103 and we're hearing this morning that Dawn Meets in Charleville has become the latest site for protesting farmers. We have been following the farmers group, the Beef Black plan movement who have been protesting against prices paid by beef producers and there's been a number of protests around the country at various meat plants. About 18 in total up to yesterday. We've been very much focusing on the one at Bandon, the APB plant in Bandon but now we have a second one in Cork with the news this morning that farmers started to protest. I think it was yesterday evening outside Dawn Meats in Charleville and the round really now continues between the meat factory owners and the farmers and there is a real standoff because the meat factories are accusing the beef plan movement of illegal blockades uh, the, and tensions are beginning to escalate on both sides now and it really is bringing the industry to a halt in many areas and the beef plan movement are very much sending the message out to farmers to keep their cattle at home while these protests are uh, underway. Helen O'Driscoll who joined us yesterday, West Cork uh, farmer, she openly admitted yesterday that they were stopping trucks going through in that they were they hadn't blocked and that they hadn't pulled up a, va- a, a truck or anything in front of the entrance but they were standing in front of the entrance and walking and parading around in a protest outside and they were stopping they certainly stopped I would say all activity yesterday at the plant in Bandon. I don't know if the same is happening in Charleville. We'll see if we can uh, get somebody on from the protest in Charleville uh, later on today. 1850 Your thoughts and comments welcomed. Are you with the farmers? Are they doing the right thing? Is it only fair and, prof- um, fair and proper that they get a decent amount for the cattle that they are bringing to market. They are looking for, what what they are calling for is cost of production plus a margin. I mean, they're not looking for a huge amount. That's all they're looking for at the moment. They are bringing animals 
to slaughter and they're not e- even getting back the cost of production. I mean, nobody can stay in business if that's what is happening. So your thoughts uh, welcomed throughout the morning. We're also still getting in a lot of calls and comments in from a piece I mentioned late yesterday on the programme. I was speaking about the Groner Brawher priest, Father Thomas Walsh, who wrote in his parish newsletter about items that he considers to be unsuitable to be brought to the altar at offertory gifts. And he was speaking in the main about funerals. And he was speaking about he has seen over the years, I mean, he must have done thousands of funerals over the years. And he's seen people bring up a can of beer, a packet of cigarettes. He's seen people bring up a remote control because the person loved the TV. Or a mobile phone would be brought up because the person was always on the mobile uh, phone. And our our football jerseys, he seemed to have a huge issue with Manchester United and Chelsea tops being brought up by way of offered you gifts. He says one of the most bizarre items he saw was a massive box of washing detergent being brought to the altar and he feels those items are very unsuitable and that they tell us nothing uplifting about the person that has died. He suggests things like a flower, bringing up a family photograph, bringing up a prayer book or bringing up rosary beads because he said that was tell us far more about the person who has died and the loss he or she is to the family who uh, grieve. And it's, I mean, he's sticking to his guns. He feels, you know, this is disrespectful, really, he says, at some of the appalling altar gifts that have been brought. And he does his bit to try to speak to the family before the funeral. And he will tell them if he feels that a particular offered your gift was inappropriate. But he says if they insist... He always he lets it go ahead. You know he let, he says it's okay. He lets it go go ahead. He doesn't stop. He's never stopped somebody like the family with the large box of washing detergent. He you know he may have suggested to them it was inappropriate, but they were insisting on bringing it. So you know he he didn't stop them. He doesn't stop bringing people bringing a pack of cigarettes. But he did make the point that he thinks it's a little bit ironic that Jimmy in the coffin might have died because of the cigarettes. He could have died of lung cancer, and yet here we are bringing up. The packet of cigarettes or somebody could have died because of alcoholism or was an alcoholic in life and you're bringing up a can of beer. Even though I would find it very hard to believe that any family whose loved one died who was an alcoholic would celebrate their death by bringing up a can can of beer. I, I think the can of beer might have been more to do with somebody who enjoyed the odd can of beer you know that would be my thinking on it but anyway uh, Father Thomas thinks all of these items are appalling off a tree uh, gifts and that they are inappropriate some of your thoughts coming in on this Margaret says I applaud Father Walsh I've been to funerals where eulogies have gone on for 20 minutes after the priest had covered everything so well because eulogies by the way was something else that uh, Father Walsh took umbrage with he felt some of them went on just way too long um, he says Margaret says there is a place called Stop and as for the gifts some of the gifts can be ridiculous says Margaret so she's 100% behind Father Walsh and she applauds him for raising this because if, if nothing else he says he wants it to open a debate and get the conversation going and certainly the man has uh, has done that Mary Ann then tells an interesting story of something that happened to her family and this was some 40 odd years ago when her father passed away and the priest was up on the altar and she said at the time there wouldn't have been a lot of florists around who were doing fresh flowers so they had gone out and bought some of 
I'm, I'm trying to as best to describe this because the younger generation probably won't know what we're talking about. Do you remember the old-fashioned wreaths that you used to put on graves and they had a glass dome over them? They would have the plastic flowers inside in these wreaths and then the glass dome went over it and the idea behind it was that the glass dome, they'd last longer out on the grave because they were protected from the elements. Whereas if you put, I mean, you're fresh, I mean, the majority of people now use fresh flowers and fresh reeds uh, on the on the grave. Uh, and then when they're gone, they're, they're gone. But you'll still see the artificial ones, but they don't last as long as the old fashioned ones. Do you remember the ones in the glass dome? You'll know, if you're of a certain generation, you'll know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Margaret said at her father's funeral, they had bought a number of those wreaths to put on the grave and somebody decided that they'd put them up on the altar rails you know maybe just to try and brighten up the church a little bit and the priest seemingly was very annoyed and he stood on the altar uh, at the funeral mass and said he didn't approve of the plastic wreaths that that she said you know that they were all really taken aback and 40 years ago was a very different era. You wouldn't have stood up to a priest, even though I don't even know today if a priest uh, stood on an altar else and started complaining about something that was up while people are grieving. I don't know if that's the time to be complaining. Anyway, Mary Ann clearly remembers that. And that really is a memory from her father's funeral that she shouldn't have. She should be remembering the funeral mass for the lovely mass that it was and how it celebrated and remembered her dad. And instead, what sticks out in her mind was the priest complaining about the plastic wreaths that were on the altar which seems a bizarre thing for the man to be complaining about because they were certainly very, very popular uh, some 40 years ago. I don't even know if you can buy them now. I haven't seen them in many, many years. But 40 years ago, they were very much in fashion and they were very much the order of the day. But this particular priest, I don't know why, but he didn't like uh, the look of them. John in Cove says it's this bringing up of the gifts at the offertory. He reckons it shouldn't have been allowed from day one. He reckons it makes a mockery of the Mass and the person in the coffin. And as that priest, Father Walsh, says some of the stupid things that people brings, bring up as offertory gifts. It makes no difference to the person in the coffin at the end of the day. And while John was on from Cove, he also has another bugbear when it comes to funerals. He said in the old fashioned days, after a funeral, you might go to the pub and have a few pints and you'd kind of toast the person. And that was it. There might be a tray of sandwiches brought out, but that that was as much as you would get after the actual funeral itself. The idea of having a great big meal after a funeral, John feels that should also be done away with. He said he calls it the death feast, as it's celebrating the person's death rather than the person's life. Plus, he said, you'll get all the hanger-oners who just go to funerals so that they can have the free uh, dinner. And today, you will go to a funeral and many of these meals afterwards, it's kind of like a wedding, except you don't have a a bride and groom. And it has become a huge tradition in, and I don't know when it started to come in. Is it the last 10 years, 20 years now? that families will will arrange a meal at a local hotel, usually afterwards. Even though, I don't know, when you say hanger-oners, I mean, I would certainly never go to one of those funeral meals unless it was a very close family or close friend. And you'd only go if you're, you're invited. Do people just simply turn up? I mean, to me, you'd have to be a little bit like a wedding. You'd have to be invited to come along. I don't know if it's just open house and anybody could go, but maybe it is. Maybe in some areas that's the way they do it. But anyway, uh, John in Cove 
disagrees with it and wonders how do others feel? Are we going over the top when it comes to funerals? There's certainly there's an expense. It's on top of the family. I mean, the funerals do not come cheap. You've got all of the funeral expenses, you know, the coffin and the undertaker and the grave and everything else that goes with the actual ceremony. And then you add to that if you have a big meal afterwards, which can run to 100 plus people, maybe if there's a large family. So there is an additional cost uh, to it. Are people against that? John and Cove reckons that's something that came in in recent years. And we should go back to the old fashioned way where you just head to the local pub and have a few drinks there. 1850-333-103. Joan in Formoy says the family should be allowed to bring to the altar whatever they want. The person may have always, for example, washed the clothes for all of her family and worked very hard. And that was the reason that that family decided to bring the massive box of washing detergent, as the priest uh, called uh, it. The family did it because, you know, it brought a smile to their face and there was it was some symbol, I take it, of their mother. Also, it's a very valuable time for the family. And if they are treated well by the church, it may encourage some of them to go back to the church. People who may have fallen away from the church, it may now encourage them to go back again if they're treated well and if they have a really nice experience of, say, a mam or a dad's funeral. People who've fallen away from the church may decide to go back. And Susan says, no, sorry, I disagree. The memorabilia that relatives bring reflects the life and loves of the deceased. So, for example, if they loved hurling, bring a hurl. If they loved the church, bring a Bible. Just because they loved other things, it doesn't take away anything from their faith in God or their faith in the church. So it's up to the family and the fa- it will be the family who will know the deceased person best. Helen says it should be and it is all about the deceased and what betrayed their lives. So therefore the family should be allowed to bring what they liked. And Ben says, why is this priest against this? Is it because the priest knows them much better than the family? Obviously not. So you leave it with, you leave it whatever the family wants to bring. The family are the ones that know the deceased person. Even, you know, in some cases, if you get, the, there are cases where a priest will know somebody that's passed away. You know, if it's somebody, for example, who's worked in the parish, maybe he's on the parish council, the priest in a case like that will know the person really well. But in many cases, the um, the priest isn't going to know every single person in the parish. So surely they should be dictated to by the family. That's what people are saying there. Let the family decide what you bring to the altar. 1850-333-103. Eddie joins me on this conversation. Good morning to you, uh, Eddie. Morning, Patricia. Uh, morning, Eddie, everyone. Uh, this is to do with people going for the meal after the funeral, the big meal now that's become a kind of a new tradition, isn't it? It is, yeah, but today, like, uh, for the last 20 years. It is, Okay. They are going yeah. to the to to a hotel in many cases. Yeah, but like uh, I will say, twenty years ago it was only uh, we might get soup and sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. But now it's gone to uh, 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 we'll say soup and main course and dessert, tea or coffee. It's almost like a wedding. Oh, it is the it's meal. The meal you'll get. Yeah, because like I've been to uh, I won't say the area now, but uh, uh, I've been to lots uh, of funerals and. Uh, I know the people. There's three or four people. They go to every funeral, and then they go. Uh, they only go to go to. Uh, they get the free meal there. Ah, stop it! Oh, I've been with my uh, father. He died there two years ago, and they were it. But surely you would only go to the meal if you were invited. 
I know. Uh, see, uh, what happens in the, tr- uh, the graveyard, uh, are in lots of graveyards, that's in, uh, but there's just, oh, there's refreshments in X, Y, or Z after. And the hanger-oners will just go for the meal? Yep. Yeah. I know, at least uh, uh, a husband and wife and another single man. Would you ever do that? Would you ever go to him to the meal unless, without being invited? No. No, unless my uh, real first, uh, I said oh, it was a first cousin. Yeah. Or, uh, it was um, an uncle or an aunt or a brother or sister. Yeah, close, fa- or a very close friend you'd go. Yeah, yeah. Did I hear, did, are you going to a funeral today? I am, yeah. And I'm only going to, uh, my my, uh, my, uh, my cousin's wife is dead. And I'd only, I'm only going to the mess and, I, and uh, I'm coming straight home. And even if they announced in the graveyard refreshments, you still say, no, I'll, I'll head away. I want, uh, I'm got ahead of you. Yeah. And my sisters, my sisters I'm, said the same. I'm really shocked to think that there are people who just go to funerals and that they'll they'll work their way around the funeral circuit to get free meals. God, they're doing well for themselves, aren't they? And uh, if if they get up on every day, should they be on the pig's back? Honest to God. And you get a good, as you say, it's a good fine meal is, is handed up at all of those funerals. Yeah. All right, Eddie, listen, uh, thanks for that. And no uh, commiserations to, to to your cousin on, on that uh, bereavement. Thanks for joining us, 1850-333-103. Also coming up on the programme today, could we lose some of our South Dock services centres? There are concerns over funding. There's also concern over lack of GPs to work in the South Dock service. What would you do if your South Dock closed or if it went to limited hours. We'll be hearing from families of the Widdy disaster. 40 years on from the Widdy disaster, they're going to the High Court to change. They want their debt certificates changed. We'll find out why. We'll offer advice to people struggling to pay back their mortgages. We'll hear from Nicole Ryan, brother of Alex, who died from drug use back in 2016. She offers advice following the very sad death of Jack Downey at the Independence uh, Festival. And we're also hearing about a new online pet service to help you find the perfect pet. And I've just spotted a text in from a listener to say, Hi, any ideas on what to do with 50 second-hand adult high-vis vests? They've been replaced by the company who owns them because they've changed their logo. And they're obviously in perfect nick. Uh, and the texter says it seems a shame to dump them. And it does. It absolutely does. And we're all about upcycling and all of that. So we'll pass it on, pass it out. Does anybody know anyone of any use for adult high-vis vests? 50 of them gone for free not even cheap going free if, if you have any suggestion on or if you would like them we can pass you on this uh, person's number 1850-333-103 if uh, you can suggest what we can do with those high-vis vests or if you have use of them yourself now according to a report in the Irish Examiner South Dock the out of hours GP service may be forced to cut the number of its treatment centres because of funding pressures and a shortage of doctors to work at the centres. Joining me with his concerns, North Cork uh, Fine Gael uh, Councillor uh, John Paul O'Shea. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, um, Good morning, listeners. And you're welcome. Now, the South Dock uh, service, the one you would have most concerns about, I'm assuming, is the local one in Canturk. Uh, are you worried about its future? 
Uh, yes, indeed, Patricia, I suppose um, news appeared on the media over the weekend in relation to an upcoming meeting um, between South Dock and the HSE in relation to, as you described it, funding pressures and doctor shortages uh, in the centres. Now, there's 23 centres um, scattered right across Cork and Kerry, and uh, we have three in our Cork, which one is in Kenturk, one in Mallow, and one in Fermoy. Um, and certainly, I think there's been emphasis put on um, the centre in Kenturk, um, that it's very close to the centre Mallow geog- uh, geographically um, but like you know I suppose the difference that we'd like to um, I suppose point out is in relation to I suppose getting around the likes of North Cork and the likes of Duhallow in particular and the challenge and the geographic um, I suppose demographic that's there in uh, Duhallow that's really challenging I suppose asking people to come from Rock Chapel or um, Knock Degree um, to come all the way into Mallow for a South Dock service is really impractical Yeah if you're, on the, if you're on the Mallow side of Cantorque you're all, you know it's a bit of an inconvenience but it's not too it's not too bad but if you're on the other side it's Absolutely. a huge inconvenience particularly if you're unwell and particularly if you're unwell and I just think it'll lead to a, a service where um, a number of people will not be able to travel um, that distance which will lead to additional pressures on South Dock because the, the, the South Dock centres are provided for anyone that can travel but they provide a door-to-door service if say an older person um, is unwell and cannot travel that a doctor um, plus a, a car uh, would come out to the house in, in the case of, uh, of an emergency or in the case of someone being uh, ill and unable to travel so it just lead to more pressures on the South Dock car to drive to these places and uh, I suppose Duhallow is very significant not only geographically um, because of its location because it's so rural but also we have a, a very older population uh, in Duhallow which most likely rely on services like South Dock so I, I suppose as the local public representative I'm concerned in relation to any proposal that might come down the track I'm just I'm conscious of the fact now they were talking in, um, you know, in a vacuum here because there hasn't mm. been a proposal put forward yet. Uh, it's media coverage that has been taking place over the weekend but certainly I think as a local representative we'd like to put our stamp on, on the centre in Kenturk saying that it does provide an excellent service uh, to the Kenturk and the wider Duhalla region. And it well I saw go. I saw the Fianna Fáil uh, TD for Cork South West, Margaret Murphy O'Mahony she issued uh, a press statement she's worried about the South Dock services in West Cork. They've got four Bandon, Clonakilty, Skibbereen and Bantry so people are concerned well, there's actually quite a lot more than four in West Cork, which there's actually seven. Oh, is there? Yeah, so there's Bandon, Bentry, um, Castletown Bear, Clannacilty, Kinsale, Dunmanway. Oh, right, so, there's, there's even more. Um, okay, that's not, it must be, it's just that they're the ones in her area, obviously, that, yeah, that she's uh, concerned about. Tr- um, there's actually three in North Cork, Patricia, seven in West Cork and five in South Cork. There's 15 in total centres in County Cork. And HSE give, give roughly €7 million Euro a year to South Dock. But, but it, a decade ago, they were giving €11 million. Well, absolutely, Patricia. I think the question needs to be asked in relation to how um, these services can continue with a lower uh, figure. Um, and uh, there's a number of my colleagues in Cork County Council that sit on the Regional Health Forum of uh, the HSE South. So uh, my colleagues will be putting forward questions to the Regional Health Forum when it meets in September asking for that uh, situation to be explained. Obviously, people cannot continue or, or, uh, or companies cannot continue with a lower budget. I know they provide some additional budget for ICT measures and such like that. So I'm not sure if that was included in the 11 million. Um, but certainly, I suppose, as 
companies grow and as the services grow. And I'm sure the South Dock services are treating many, many people and not only in Kintour, but right across Cork and Kerry on a, on, a, on a daily basis out of hours. And I suppose that service needs to be paid for. It needs to be uh, resourced good enough to ensure that I suppose there's doctors available to carry out those duties uh, on behalf of the health service out of hours. And they are literally unsociable hours, Patricia, that our doctors work really hard uh, to cater for our population and they must be supported. Okay, uh, somebody says, hi, I live in Canturk and if you get sick during the night, you you already have to travel to Mallow. The Canturk service only operates by day. Yeah, but some, some symptoms because you don't have a full-blown service, but like South Dock service might oper- operate by day at the weekend out of, the, out of hours, as in, like, say, it might operate up until 10 o'clock on a Friday night. It might operate up until, um, say, full day on Saturday and the full day on Sunday or a bank holiday Monday. But sometimes they don't have the doctors or the resources to do the full hours. But you see, isn't that, the other, is, isn't that the other problem we have? And, and South Dock will admit this. They're having a problem recruiting doctors for the service. How do we get around that? Absolutely, uh, Patricia, I suppose. And look, some of the conversations nationally that has taken place uh, with the Department of Health and the IMO uh, will help in relation to, I suppose, um, recruiting new GPs. I mean, you have had carried many stories uh, in your previous programmes in relation to, I suppose, getting GPs and GMS contracts out in the rural communities. And some of them have been unfilled for a long period of time because the availability of GPs are just not there. So the Department of Health is working with the IMO or IMO in relation to, I suppose, recruiting more uh, GPs for the service and recruiting more GPs for the South Dock service as well. So we'd be very anxious to hear back from the department uh, in relation to how they envisage that more GPs would get involved in the service because GPs locally have told us as local representatives uh, that they're they're finding it quite challenging to get doctors to sign up to South Dock because their practices in fairness are very busy on a Monday to Friday already and some of the GPs um, don't have the the time and uh, you know due to their own pressures to to, to continue to work. Well, listen, I, I, I don't know how any of the GPs who are working during the day and then I know they're rostered on uh, to do so many nights a month. I, I don't know how they do it and then expect to go for work the next day and do a full surgery with their with their own patients. That's absolutely correct, Patricia. And, you know, but isn't there an issue with overseas doctors coming in? There is indeed, um, and there is an issue, and I suppose, like, I know very little about it, to be honest, Patricia, in relation to it, but I'm sure, I suppose, like, we are communicating with South Chuck and this week, and I'm sure uh, our um, council will be bringing forward motions in September to discuss this issue, uh, but certainly there is a recruitment issue uh, with the doctors, and we'd like to talk to South Chuck and the HSC in relation to how we can assist that, um, because it is crucially important that we continue an out of our service. Uh, and it is uh, something that uh, you know, your members would say that they do go to South Dock on out of hours and it is extremely busy and uh, it's very important that we will continue to support that service. OK, and as you mentioned, there's 23 South Dock centres across Cork and Kerry. Do you believe we need every one of them? I certainly think we do, Patricia. I think particularly because the, the geography that's involved with Cork and Kerry, um, these were set up um, back in 2004, I believe. Um, so they were set up for an important reason to cater for those areas. We've gone through a very similar situation, Patricia, if you, if you recall, back in Mill Street where they were considered they didn't want, uh, didn't require an ambulance anymore in Mill Street area. And three or four years down the road, we have the, the ambulance reinstated. So let's not go down that route in terms of our out of hours GP services. 
where we close um, a facility in North Cork or West Cork or South Cork and indeed come back in four or five years' time and saying it was the wrong move that we should reopen it again. So I think we've had the experience here in North Cork with the Ministry's Ambulance. Let's not go down that route again in terms of our South Dock out of our GP service. And I think we'll be putting that message quite clearly to South Dock management and to the HSC when we meet them. OK, we'll leave it there, uh, John Paul. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor, North Cork Councillor John Paul O'Shea with his concerns about the South Dock uh, service. And as I say, uh, we have a press release in from Margaret Murphy O'Mahony. Deputy Margaret Murphy-Manny in West Cork. She also has concerns about some of the South Dock services in West Cork. As I say, at the moment, and John Paul wants to point that out, at the moment it is just a proposal, but you know, often what happens, these ideas get floated and it's just to see what what way would it be received if they were to close some of the centres. So I think it's only right and proper. These are vital, vital services, particularly in the rural areas, and we need each and every one of them uh, to remain open. 1850-333-103, John Paul. Paul, taking your calls if you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 086 Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day. Now you can win thousands of euros. Thousands of euros. To say thank you for listening to C103, Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Tune in to win weekdays from 6am on C103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 And uh, don't forget we are playing Simon's Celebrity Seas, giving you the opportunity to win at least 2,100 euro and we will be playing it in the next hour. We will open the phone lines and give you the opportunity uh, to join me live on air for your chance to win some cash and it's our way of saying thank you to you for our latest listenership figures. Now earlier this year on the 8th of January we remembered the Whiddy Island disaster which 40 years ago saw 50 people lose their lives. The families of those who died are now applying to the High Court to rectify the death certificates of their loved ones. And joining me to explain why is Michael Kingston, who is an international lawyer, but Michael's dad died on that day. Good morning to you, Michael. Morning, Patricia. Uh, You're welcome to the programme. Okay, why? what is on your dad and indeed the other people who passed away on their death certificates and what do you want that replaced with? Um, the immediate physical cause of death, Patricia, is on the death certificate. So on my father's death, death certificate and a number of others, um, it's death by asphyxia due to drowning. That's the starvation of oxygen to the body. And on a number of others, um, there are varying causes of, of physical death explained on the death certificate. Under the right to life provisions um, on Article 2 of the European Convention of Human Rights, all the surrounding circumstances are supposed to be taken into account when um, uh, concluding the uh, cause of death. And in the Hillsborough disaster in the United Kingdom, all 96 deaths were changed to um, unlawful death because of the breaches of regulation at the time in 1989. And there is a direct, direct analogy between Hillsborough and what happened in Whitty Island all sorts of things came to light in the Hillsborough disaster when the an inquiry was finally convened and they got to the bottom of the facts in 2012 
and a coroner's report, a uh, coroner's hearing was reconvened at the order of the High Court and the uh, High Court um, directed the coroner to find unlawful death in Whitty Island. There were massive and appalling breaches of safety regulation and none of that was taken into um, account, although the facts were established as to what happened and all those failings clearly set out in Mr. Justice Stedman Costello's report. Um, it didn't then go on to the next step of explaining the specific regulation that was breached on multiple counts. So do you want the coroner's... In in do you want the coroner's court reconvened as well? Well, that has to happen because the coroner... Uh, by law, has to um, um, adjudicate on the final uh, cause of death. So the um, High Court will direct a new coroner's hearing and direct him to find unlawful death. And that's and it's only then that the the death certificate would be changed. And and that's what you that's what you want on your dad's death certificate. You want unlawful death. Correct. I and everyone else, and there are a number of reasons for that, um, and why we've been forced into this position. Um, we have had to deal with this situation um, in an enduring nightmare since the disaster, first of all, losing our loved ones, and secondly, a uh, tribunal took place, established all the facts, and then nothing nothing happened. Um, when we commemorated everyone in January, we asked the leaders of our nation to show some humanity and assist us to look after 40, the, the 42 people who came into our jurisdiction from France and one man from the United Kingdom, Mr. Harris, and it fell on deaf ears. We did the same thing in 2009, and it fell on deaf, deaf ears. And the, um, the uh, state has showed no humanity to, to the victims. And in addition to that, the um, tanker, in Whitty Island was not carrying in our gas systems. Some of our relatives were swimming to the island um, after waiting for 25 minutes for rescue services to arrive when they, they couldn't because the, um, the uh, measures that were supposed to be in place were not there. There was no tugs beside the um, vessel, which there should have been um, in accordance with law. The bridge was removed to the island. The... Um, Safety uh, systems were reduced from um, automatic to, um, to to manual. Um, the people were absent from their post and and and, and didn't turn them on, on until it was um, uh, too late. And we've um, we've um, had to um, um, deal with those uh, um, um, failures. And 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 it's not good enough the approach by the by the government. They're able to go to the Air India disaster down the road, the President and the Minister of Foreign Affairs. We've had to carry this burden. We've asked them to... Um, and, and you to, never, you uh, never and I think people will be shocked, you never got an apology. Well, when, well, first of all, Patricia, in relation to the, the tanker, sorry, I just need to finish that point. When, when everyone was finishing, when, when everyone was swimming to the island, um, the tanker exploded. And the tanker exploded because it wasn't carrying inert gas systems. And inert gas systems have been recommended in industry years before and were included in an international regulation, the foundation stone of the current International Maritime Organization's regulation, SOLAS 1970, 
um, for, but it wasn't ratified by Ireland, and they ratified it after the disaster. They are continuing to fail to ratify international um, regulation. They've failed to put in place corporate manslaughter regulation that was uh, um, recommended by the Law Commission in 2005, implemented in the United Kingdom in 2007, leaving Irish workers wide, wide open to abuse. The Marine Casualty Investigation Board is under investigation by, by Europe, who have reported threatened Ireland to go to the European Court of Justice because two members of the five-person board are the chief surveyor in the department and another nominee in the department investigating their own regulatory framework and enforcement in, in relation to all modern accidents such as the Bon Home and Rescue 116. And it's a continuing continuing failure similar to the failure to ratify the convention that caused the explosion and it's a complete dereliction of duty to the Irish maritime community and Irish Irish um, society and that's a reason why we're also seeking this um, 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 action to make them carry out a full review of Irish regulation and energy um, to keep um, people safe, so safe in the future. Again. Michael, talk to me about... Um, in about relation to the, poli- the apology. Yeah, state apology, yeah. Um, yes, so, so in 2012, before the Hillsborough victims um, even had the High Court adjudicate on the death certificates when the independent panel established the facts, David Cameron got up in the House of um, Commons and apologised for the state's failing to enforce... Um, um, a safe place of of um, of a sport in the case of of, of Hillsborough, um, and for all the uh, for all the failings, the Mr. Justice Declan Costello's report is at exactly the same stage in 1980 as the Hillsborough report was in 2012, and the state of Ireland should have apologised um, for, for 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 what happened. Um, even worse, they denied Cork County Council jurisdiction on Whitty Island. Cork County Council's fire department asked Gulf Oil if they had these measures in place. They did the best they could, but they were denied jurisdiction because the government allowed a giant corporation run a roughshod over our community and, and do what they liked. So what they should have done was put their hands up and apologize to the families, and not just the families, but all the workers who were put in perilous danger that night all the rescue services who had to be called out unnecessarily, the Skibbereen, Bantry and Dunmanway Fire Brigade responding to an incident off an island, um, uh, on a jetty off an island, on an island off a mainland as the first point of response. It was a ridiculous situa- um, situation. The, the residents of Whitty Island need an apology, the people of Bantry and West Cork, for their complete failure to enforce uh, regulation and and admit that it was a massive state a failing of the state. Michael in Castletambert wonders: Is there a case to be taken to the European Court of Justice? Yes, there is. Michael is dead right because if the High Court, for unbelievable reasons, um, do not um, follow the precedents that are clearly set under Article Two of the European. Um, um, Convention on Human Rights, it will be appealed to the Supreme Court and taken to the European Court of Justice. It is a, an open and, 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 uh, and shut case. And, and um, it's one of the reasons, as you well know, Patricia, I fought tooth and nail for, for the UK to remain in the um, European Union. Yeah. And one of the main reasons was the fundamental 
uh, misunderstanding of the British public to understand how important their European rights are, and this is one of them. And with Gareth Pearce, who represented the Birmingham Six and Guildford Four, we understood the importance of European rights. We understood how the families in Hillsborough achieved justice, having been ignored time and again by the British government. And it was one of the main reasons why we fought tooth and nail for um, for for the UK in, to, to remain in Europe, also okay. knowing how important these rights are for every citizen in Ireland. This oh. is a complete breach okay. of, of, of our fundamental rights, and it's an incredibly I'm, important case I'm, for I'm, everyone in Irish society. And I'm running out of time, and I do want to... I'm, I'm, very, I'm very conscious of the costs involved in, in going to uh, the High Court. You've set up a GoFundMe page. We've set up a GoFundMe page. Um, obviously, we have to try and create a level playing field. The state, we have asked them to engage with us and they've ignored us. They, they could have met and we said we can deal with this in an enormously positive way. And, and this case, in a way, because of their behavior, is completely unnecessary. But they're behaving in the same way that they do in, a, in, in other matters. So will they roll out barristers and so on? So we, um, we have to be ready. And we've um, set up a GoFundMe page. And, and it's important and we hope that people will understand that for the reasons I've just explained, how important this case is for Irish society and for respect, particularly for the people of West Cork. We've been disrespected. It's gone on for too long. And now's our chance to um, put the matter to bed, receive the apology that we should have received years ago and so that we can get on with our lives. OK, and I'll get John Paul to put a link to the GoFundMe page up on, on our Facebook page. And just, Mike, to finish off, you were only four uh, when your dad died. Have you have you any me- vivid memories of him? Any memories of him? Um, not really, just one or two, Patricia. I obviously remember that day very uh, very well indeed. I remember the day before because it was my birthday and, and um, obviously that sounds sad, but in a way it was... A very happy day, um, and I, I have those. I have those memories. But my mother kept his his memory alive, and he was an incredible human being. He remained at his post in atrocious circumstances, playing for uh, playing for help, and tried to save those around him with others. And uh, he deserves the respect of just like every other citizen um, in this community. And that's why I've fought tooth and nail for him, and also for all the other families. Yeah, yeah, your dad, he was really one of the real heroes uh, of, of the day. He'd be he'd be very proud. Uh, Michael, listen, we'll stay in contact. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining thank us on the programme. Good morning for to all you. Your help. Uh, our our thank pleasure. You. Thank you for that. Bye bye. Uh, Michael Kingston there, and he's part of that group, along with other family members who lost loved ones in the Widdy Island disaster some 40 years ago. And there will be so many people in the West Cork area listening to us uh, today, even though it was 40 years ago, like it's a lifetime ago, uh, who will vivid, you have very vivid memories of what that day was uh, like 8th of uh, January some 40 uh, years ago and now the family fight the family's having to fight it's just it's i always feel for families that are, that are pushed to this kind of the, this, the pin of their collar in order to get what they feel is right and proper to remember their loved ones it's it's it should be a simple enough thing for them they should have the coroner's court reconvene they should be allowed to have uh, unlawful death on the death uh, on the death certificate and uh, certainly uh, they are and so many others are owed an, an apology but they'll have to fight a tooth and nail through the high court which just seems, seems to be a real shame 1850 we're going to take a break we have news at 11 
uh, on the way. We're going to be playing Celebrity Seas in the next hour. A lot of your comments uh, to catch up uh, with. Uh, and we'll also be offering advice um, for people who find themselves in difficulty with mortgage uh, arrears. All that coming up after news at 11. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your texts and comments coming in uh, to the programme. Mags says, Michael Kingston, who we spoke to in the last hour, who's campaigning uh, because he lost his dad in the Widdy disaster, campaigning on behalf of the other uh, families of the Widdy Island disaster. And they are looking for a change on the death certificate to unlawful death and also looking for a state apology for what happened uh, to their loved ones. Mags says, Michael Kingston is so right, particularly on the point that he made about the Air India disaster. The Air India disaster is remembered every single year and it's a very high profile event and yet when you think about it the Air India disaster had really nothing to do with us except that um, the, the, the the plane went down in Irish water but when you look at what the Widdy Island that was our own people died uh, there and yet that is not uh, remembered. And then on funerals and people going to funeral receptions and what should we do at funerals getting a lot of calls in and still getting a lot of calls in on this a Douglas sister has been on says seeing as you're talking about funerals today Patricia am I the only one who doesn't like the idea of a person being laid out in their own home I had a lovely aunt and I have great great memories of visiting her house now all I can see is her laid out in her coffin in her front room don't like the idea of having a deceased loved one laid out at home. We should stick with the undertakers and their funeral parlours. Do others agree or disagree? 1850-333-103. Somebody mentioned earlier that they were at a funeral last week and the donkey was brought into the uh, funeral because the, the elderly man that had died, it was his much-loved animal. Sheila says, Patricia, about the donkey at the funeral. The donkey is a holy animal and it's a sign of a person it's a sign a person is welcomed into heaven. I stood at many an open grave and when the coffin was laid down, all you could hear was a donkey baying across the way from the cemetery, says Sheila. And Sheila grew up believing that it was the sign that the person was welcomed in heaven. I don't know if anybody else has ever heard of that. Mary in Lasarda. She said, Patricia, you've been speaking about people attending the after funeral receptions, the hanger honours, as they've been called in some zones. I remember a couple. And now both no longer with us. They went to every single funeral in the area and to the afters, whether they knew the deceased person or not. The husband earned the nickname Johnny the Box, <laughs> says Mary in Lazarda. And I wonder when they passed away themselves, did they have a, a huge funeral uh, or not? Uh, one wonders. Uh, Joe in Mallow, this is on the priest given out about what you bring up, uh, the after gift. It might make no difference to the deceased person, but it will make absolutely a huge difference to the family involved and to the close relatives. Families differ, we all do, but I don't think it's a time for the priest of the church to be standing up telling people what to do. Will you just leave?
leave people grieve at, please. 1850 And actually, I can see a lot of comments coming in about South Dock as well, but I will get back to those. And there's also a lot of commentary coming in on the farmers who are protesting. And as we've been highlighting all across last week and indeed this week, members of the farmers group, the Beef Plan Movement, who are protesting against prices paid by beef producers. They've appealed for cattle rearers across the state to keep the cattle at home over the coming days. Dawn Meats in Charleville has become the latest site for protesting farmers. And joining me, North Cork farmer uh, Jason Fitzgerald. Uh, Good morning to you, Jason. Morning, Patricia. Now I know you're at home at the moment, but you have been down. You've you've been one of the farmers protesting at uh, Dawn Meats. What's the scene like outside Dawn Meats? Well, it's very um, calm and organised today. Um, we uh, we set up our protest um, at around nine pm yesterday evening, and obviously it's it's like Bandon is going to go twenty four seven. And um, I suppose we're appealing for people from kind of Dunamore, North, um, East Cork and um, maybe East Limerick to come and support us and help us out. Um, And it's been very organised. The farmers, we'd like to thank the farmers who are there in fairness because they were unaware of the protest before they brought cattle today. And they've been very patient. Um, The guards have been very patient and very very helpful. And um, cattle are getting in there today. And... um, based on the fact that farmers weren't aware of the protest going on, but obviously they're made aware of it today and um, through your show and, and other media outlets, they, they will be aware of it after today. So are you asking farmers to keep their cattle at home from tomorrow? Absolutely, yes. And uh, like Bandon, um, the numbers, we are expecting the numbers to grow and hoping they will grow and um we believe there's a huge momentum behind what we're doing at the moment. There's people coming out supporting the movement and um, this protest who probably have never been in a protest in their life before and people who have never been involved in farming before. They see the importance of, we'll say, the beef movement. They see the importance of the agriculture sector. And Charleville is no different to a town like Bandon. It's very much steeped in an agriculture context um, with Kerry Foods and Dawn Meats and um, it's surrounded usually by farming. And, and look, people know that um, farmers, if you take any um, community event, that farmers are involved in it just as much as people from the town and village themselves and, and they've all helped out fundraising and helped out. And, you know, our communities will be a lot less without the farming sector. Yeah, I saw the the group who represent the beef processing plants, the Meat Industry Ireland. Firstly, they're, they're saying that they, these are illegal blockades, that you shouldn't be stopping any farmers from trying to go in. But they're also complaining that the... Pro- now, I know this hasn't happened at Charleville, but it's not to say that it won't happen. But they're complaining that the protesters are using uh, unacceptable abuse and intimidation of farmers and suppliers and employers who do want to get into the factory. Well, I can certainly, um, that is not the case. I have been in three different sites. I've been in Bandon last week. I was in Ratkeel at the start of this week in the Charleville. And um, it's, a, it's a ground rule that that any person I've talked and spoken to, they, they, you know, nobody should address any some, any person in an intimidating way or an abusive way. This is not, but it's not what it's all about. Everybody is trying to get through this. It's a very difficult time for a lot of people. And I, I, that behaviour is, is completely unacceptable. 
Okay, a listener, Pat, says it is more than time that Minister Michael Creed did something for the beef producers. Would you like to see more of an intervention? I know I saw uh, Minister Creed uh, was appealing to both sides, i.e. yourselves and the beef plan movement and the beef producers to get around the table and, and talk. Would you like to see more of an intervention, though, from the Minister himself? Absolutely. I mean, like the Minister has been using price as an issue why he can't get involved, but like there's other issues. There's the, the former movement rule, there's the, the over 30 months. There, there are issues he certainly can get involved in. Um, there's the whole thing about um, the, the, way fa- the grading process in factories. There is a multitude of problems in the beef sector that the Minister should already have been involved in at this stage, not alone now. These problems have been mounting up for years. Um, the grading system, if you take an animal in, in Italy, the difference between an O and an and a U grade animal is 127. If you take the, the difference in, in France, it was 85 um, pence to the pound. And then we're here in, in Ireland and it's, it's, it's only 30. That's, they're huge differences down to a grading system that is flawed. And I think that these are all the issues that the minister should have got involved in long before now. And I suppose... As regard the meat industry, Ireland, um, I think um, there was an agreement on uh, last week when um, the NIDA plant, um, the blockade was lifted on the NIDA plant um, with the understanding that talks would take place. And uh, the, very neg- the very next day, the meat industry, Ireland, came out and said that they weren't going to um, entertain talks until the, the um, pickets were removed. And I think other, other farming organisations have learned at their cost that that's um, a very hollow promise. Um, these talks don't uh, account to anything. Like we're at the end game here, and, and I think um, the supermarkets need to be brought into this um, equation a lot more than what they are. Like we are going to be, we're probably a month away now from the ploughing championships, and above the ploughing championships, we're going to have all the big retailer units. Um, I'm not going to name them all. We all know who they are, and they're going to be displaying their goods, and they're going to be have a nice posts of, of smiling farmers looking out at the people by the way that we're the farmer's best friend when when what's going on inside in the supermarkets are are just as culpable uh, as the meat industry joe says uh, i am a farmer but not a beef farmer but i've always had an interest uh, in uh, beef um i have watched the beef the price of beef go up and down in prices but it always seems to be in favour of the factory. There, there are serious beef farmers out there trying to make a living and I agree with them totally in what they're doing. I feel there is a cartel with the factories when it comes to prices. Something needs to be done and the farmers are right to be protesting. But then somebody says, Trish, what about the workers on the clock in those factories? Will this beef plan movement pay their wages? I have, I have family there with homes and children to keep. You must have sympathy for the employees at the meat factories, Jason. Absolutely. Look, um, we we are not set out uh, setting out to um, basically to interfere with anybody's income. But u- ultimately, we are at a loss. We're not making money for a considerable period of time, and that's going to go on unless something's done about it. And I, I suppose there's one thing that must be understood here about the whole agriculture sector, and people must realise this: that like the price of milk and the price of beef today is the same as it was with the last thirty years. Now, so the price of, uh, we'll say, inputs has trebled since '99, and. I suppose we've had a lot of dairy farmers out supporting, which is, is, is brilliant. I'm a dairy farmer myself. But I, I would say at home that for the dairy farmers, this is just as important as the beef sector because if anybody's sitting at home, I would ask them to do one calculation. I would ask them to look at what their profit margins are today 
And imagine in 10 years' time that the price they will be receiving for the milk will be the same as what it is today, which it will. And their costs will be after doubling. And I will ask them, will they still be able to make a margin at that rate? And that's the problem with this whole, this whole sector. And, and outside of their costs doubling, everything else will have gone up. Everything else. Cost of living, everything. Absolutely. We're going to go into a period now where um, we're, uh, the slash plate slurring is, is no longer going to be permissible. That's going to add extra cost. You're going to have uh, an ex- extra carbon tax. Like People are still going to have to use tractors and burn diesel because the technology is not available for um, alternatives in, in the agriculture sector at the moment. And um, the costs are going to continue to rise. And with the model that's there, like we're all, like I'm a very pro-European person, um, but the model in Europe is they want to get food as cheap as they possibly can, and they are not at all concerned, unfortunately, about the people who are producing that food. And that is a very important for a country like Ireland that we must put a floor under the price or for the primary producer, let it be the dairy sector or the beef sector, because when the beef sector is gone, if this not, is not resolved, which it will be, I'm afraid the dairy sector will follow suit. OK, so the protest uh, continues. And just to point out the beef plan uh, movement, their uh, main objective is to return a cost of production price plus a margin. That's uh, what they're looking for. OK, uh, Jason, uh, no, no doubt we'll talk again. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That's Jason Fitzgerald, North Cork farmer. He's one of the farmers protesting at Dawn Meats in Charleville, which has become the latest site for protesting farmers from the beef plan movement. And even though it's a relatively new protest in Charleville and Jason says no intimidation going on on the farmers who would have turned up today not realising that there was a, a protest by farmers. So they seem to be just leaving them in, even though the same can't be said is in Bandon. They're certainly not uh, leaving them in. But Eamon in Newmarket was on to say he was at a Midlands plant yesterday. He was able to get through, but he said the protesters were abusive to Eamon when he was driving in. He was driving a car and a trailer. He ended up asking a member from Garda Siakona to help him when he was coming back out again, as they were once again being abusive when he was leaving the factory. He's heard similar from a farmer in Limerick. He said it was just dreadful. I hear them all saying it's peaceful protests, but from what I saw, it was far from peaceful. I feel they are bad news and basically there is too much beef around and farmers doing this are shooting themselves in the uh, foot. So uh, Eamon in Newmarket, not happy with how he was treated going into a factory in the Midlands yesterday. 1850-333-103, John Paul taking your calls. Um, and Eileen in Newmarket, Kit by to oh eight six two one oh three one oh three. Uh says Patricia that to hear the cover on the beef protest, Jason explained it so well. Hi Patricia, the, to hear the cover the, the beef protest, Jason explained it uh, so well and actually could you hear his cows mooing in the background, uh, I, I actually could uh, Michael Creed needs uh, to do more. Okay, i uh, got to take a quick break and we're back with Celebrity Seas C103 Jobs 
Let's do the job. So uh, first, uh, bus drivers with a D and a D1 licence wanted for a school run that's in Yall and Formoy. Full and part-time stores assistant required for fixed-line depot at a Quartertown industrial estate. While a childminder is wanted to look after two children two to three days per week that's in the Mill Street area. And carpenters and labourers are wanted for immediate start in the North and West Cork areas. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, how would you like a chance of winning 2,200 euro? What did I say? 2,100? Yeah, don't that to me now, Trish. Oh, yeah. Am I putting extra money on it already? 2,100 euro. Sorry. Did I, did I say 2,002? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sure. Now, that'll be tomorrow I if we don't get... Well, we might have a winner today. I mean, you knows? never know. Celebrity C's. C. C and C. Uh-huh. Okay, we need... Uh, callers, please. 1850-333-103. We need you to try to work out any of the voices, please. If you can work out any of these celebrities... We've got a female and two males. Yeah. C. C and C. See, what I was saying this morning as well, it's people often get very cynical with these things and they say, oh, you probably picked some Z-list celebrity now. See, I thought no the one, these, I thought the I'm te- Trish, I'm telling you now, <laughs> these three people are all extremely A-list. Yeah. A-list. Okay. Oh, you promised me that? Yeah. And Simon, uh, it's because it's Simon's Celebrity Seas and we're playing on this programme and right across the day it's to celebrate the C103's, our latest uh, listenership uh, figures. But you see, I've always, I've always had a problem working these out. But then as soon as the person is named, I go, oh God, of course that's who it was. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the, yeah, okay. So we're C. trying to... C and C. Can you, can, are you giving us any clues? Like are they Irish even? Uh, are any of them Irish? Even give us that. You don't have to say which one. Might be. Ma- might be. 1850 We need somebody to come on and just, just have a little bit of a guess. Anything at all that you would like to... Because it, it, it's a series of elimination, isn't it? We start ruling it out. Well, yeah. I mean, you could get really forensic on it and start ticking names off the list. Have a little list next to the phone. You know, well, it's not him. It's not her. It's not him. He said it wasn't her. OK, let's have another listen. C. C and C. I, th- I do think the last person is saying and C but you say, you say they're not C, C and C anyway well, no, they, they, play, play again C C and C yeah I, I think he might have been kind of mid conversation and said the words and C okay and I just clipped the C but you know. and every day it's it's a 2,100 euro it will go up by 100 euro every day that we don't have a winner we're yeah. going to be giving away a lot of money I think on this celebrity seats does anybody want to play today C C and C even if you know you, it's a tall order now to get all three right yeah. but if you think if someone has an inkling or a hunch as to who one of them might be because yeah. that's what happens we'll end up somebody will guess one somebody will guess another and then eventually we end up with two and then it goes to the last one, the last mm. hoo-ha. And then everybody wants to play when it's down yeah, to it. the last hoo-ha. OK, one more shout-out. 1850 C. C and C. Anybody want to play with us today? No, they're all being very coy and very cute about it. Mm. Uh, isn't that a bit mm. of a disappointment there now? What do we do? We leave a go and I pass this on to who's playing oh, this afternoon. We'll take some take some calls in a minute and okay. see what happens. All right, yeah. we've got to we'll see if we can get... Uh, the phone lines have been very busy as well today. So in fairness, there was a lot of people. Um, I can see John Paul and I, There was a lot of people on about the farmers and the beef protests. And there's a lot of people on about attending funerals. And there's a lot of people on about South Dock. And now we need people to play celebrity season in the middle of it. 1850 <laughs> 333103 three, three, three. just come on and just have a very quick guess 
as to who you think any of these could be. C. C and C. It's got to be. Come on, you've got. If we've got to be able to work out. I'm trying to even think. Can I encourage? Can I? Can I work out any of them? Is two thousand one hundred euro? You, that you, is a lot you of asked money. If any of them are Irish, yeah. Tell us if any of them are Irish. Go on. You don't even say which one or any of them Irish. Tell me if one of them's Irish. Is one of the three Irish? Could one of the three be Irish? Could one of the th- could one of the is three- one of the three Irish? <laughs> Let's get a better question. <laughs> is one of the three Irish? Yeah, maybe, yeah, one. Maybe, maybe, maybe one. Maybe two. Are, are maybe say- three. Ah, okay. All right. Elaine O'Connell is in Dunamore. Good morning to you, Elaine. Hi, Trish. I know it's a really tall ask. Let's play it again. C. C and C. Okay, could you work out who any of those people are? Celebrity C's? Is a pure guess, okay, but okay. I do think the last one might be right. So I'm going to go with Jennifer Lopez, Tom Cruise, and Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, yeah. Mm. Is it? Hang on. C. C and C. Yeah, that's Colin uh, Farrell. It's Elaine, is it? Yeah. Elaine? Yeah. Hi. Uh, none right. Oh! No. Are you sure that's not Colin Farrell? I, I'm oh, sorry. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah. She's not a million miles away now. On which one? It's I'll a dub, so. I'll be back after one. Okay, you think it's a... No, stay there. We've got more callers. Elaine, try again. Thanks Hi, for Chris. that. Bye-bye. Let's go to Dennis Hayes is in uh, Mayfield. Uh, good morning to you, Dennis. Good morning. Okay. See and see. Okay, you've got the radio on. If you just turn down the radio because we're on delay and we're hearing ourselves coming back. Can you turn the radio down? Okay, thank okay. you for that. Okay, who do you think the three C's are, Dennis? I think it's uh, Brenda Fricker, Billy Joel, and Daniel Radcliffe. Okay, any of those, Dennis? <laughs> Dennis is a regular listener because they're, they're all past celebrity C's. Oh, are they? So they're not part okay. of this one, Dennis. All right, no. sorry, Dennis. Thanks for trying. And let me go to Eileen Kelly in Dunmanway, doing it for the girls. Yeah. Uh, hi, Eileen. Let's play him again. C. C and C. Who are those yeah, three C's? Um, would the first one be Anna Geary? No. Oh. No. Jennifer no. Lopez. They're the only two I can think no. of. No, somebody else has said Jennifer Lopez. Does that sound like C. C, C? Oh, yeah, it does kind of sound a little bit like Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. No, yeah, it's not because she's been guessed already. Yeah. All right. Okay, worth Thank a you. try. Thanks, right, Eileen. Thank you, okay. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we got it. We got three callers. Who'd have thought? I'll tell you, there's, 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 there was one of clues, those. Clues, clues, clues. There was, uh, do you know what? I, I'm banned from giving any clues. Elaine, right? Elaine but, uh, was the closest. She was. With which one? With the with the. I, Trish, come on now. Okay, all right. You want, it's too much like money. interrogation stuff here. But she wasn't. Can I bribe you? She wasn't a mi- absolutely. She wasn't a million miles away. That's all. With her Colin Farrell. Back after one. Okay. And there he goes. He just jumps up and leaves the studio. Thank you. That is our own Simon Murdoch from The Breakfast Show. Simon's Celebrity Sees Your Chance to Play and Win all day long here on uh, C103. And Nick will do it all over again this afternoon. C. C and C. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. I'm at Robert's Cove Vintage Festival and just bumped into... My name is actually Weagle the Clown. Weagle the Clown. You are a balloon modeler. I'm a balloon modeler indeed. Let me ask you, what what is the most unusual thing anyone has ever asked you to make? Uh, a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A full car with door and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Engine. 
engine and everything, yeah. Did but, you manage it? Oh, yeah, a couple of years I did, yeah. <laughs> so join me Monday to Friday from 1pm. C103. Just a quick look at some of the texts coming into the programme on the protest by the farmers outside the meat factories. A listener says, I have 120 bulls fit to be taken to the factory, but I'm leaving them at home and that's where they'll stay. I lose 150 to 200 euro on the price I would have got this time last year. I support the beef plan movement until we finally get justice, says that particular farmer. Tim, now after 12 today, we are going to be speaking with... um, Nicole Ryan, whose brother Alex, remember, died. He took that synthetic N-bomb drug back in 2016. And Nicole's been doing fantastic work going around and talking to young people and trying to get across to them the dangers of drugs. And she joins us with words of uh, advice and where we can go from here following the very tragic death of uh, Jack Downey. I know the story is back making the news again today and uh, it looks like it was kidney failure in the end is what poor old Jack, um, young 19-year-old student, uh, died from. Tim says, um, though by text, Tricia, firstly, sincere sympathies to the family of that young man from Clamel who died after ingesting drugs at the Independence Festival. Even though now they're saying that he took them before he even headed to the festival, that he actually had them in his system. Well, that's the, the story that's doing the rounds at the moment. Anyway, uh, but this highlights how sick society has become, says Tim. We, guess the age group please, went social dancing to the Fergus Hotel in Mitchellstown on Sunday night while the festival was on. Beautiful ballroom, mighty music with John Hogan band. Great night had by all. When we left the hotel at about half past twelve in the morning to go home, there were young people thrown all over the hotel car park. To be honest, it was like a scene from Frontline in a war. This is happening every weekend, but we only hear about it when it comes on our doorstep and we have a festival like that with so many young people around. What kind of mature adults will these young people make, says uh, Tim. Shocked by what he saw. 1850 And on funeral and funeral... Mm, having meals after a funeral and kind of this reception. I don't know what word you would use when you're invited to go for refreshments and it's turned into almost like a wedding meal is what's provided at a hotel. And says the reason that families have this big meal afterwards is for all of the people who will have travelled a long distance to be able to sit and meet and talk with the people afterwards. Also, the family are absolutely exhausted. So it's good for them to be able to go home afterwards without a houseload coming home with them. They'll have met with everybody back at the hotel and then they can go home and just be with them, with each other, just on their own as uh, families and relax a little a little bit. And hotel owners, by the way, say it actually works out cheaper to have a main meal than to be putting on sandwiches and cocktail sausages and, and soup and sandwiches and that kind of affair, which was what used to happen before this idea of a sit-down meal came in. So that's interesting. That's in from Anne. Thank you for that, Anne. And Mary says, Hiya, Patricia. Hope you had a nice weekend. I did. I wonder what is the issue of the work that's going on for the new boardwalk in uh, Mallow and the fact that the northbound lane over Mallow Bridge is closed and it's now closed over a week. It was Monday. Well, it was Monday of last week, the 29th, that it was scheduled to close, even though it didn't officially closed until Wednesday so we're a week uh, closed anyway Mary says 
I don't see any work being done since last week. Have they all gone away on holidays? Says Mary. Well, funny you should mention that now, Mary, because yesterday at about half past five, I had to go across town. Now, I couldn't go over the bridge because I live on the other side, so I would have to use the northbound lane to go over the bridge. So I had to go the long way around to get to the other side of town. So I ended up driving out past the radio station to the Drumahan Junction, where I I joined a tailback of traffic from the Drumahan Junction right up to the roundabout. So a journey that normally would take you two minutes took me 20 minutes. You could sense the frustration of people. Now I do accept it was half five and it was rush hour traffic. But then I came back over the bridge so I was able to see the work and what work had gone on. And I have to say there's a little bit of work has been done. It doesn't look like a week's worth of work. And what struck me was if they are continuing at that pace and I'm sure there's a plan. Somebody has the plan. Can anybody tell us what the plan is? But if they're moving at that pace, I'm now starting to worry. Will the work be finished before school reopens at the end of August? We're told that the bridge will be fully reopened at the end of August. But a lot of the schools will start to reopen at the end of August. And there's two schools. There's Davis College and there's the Gwale Skull. And there is uh, Skull Gobnathon. There's three schools actually in that area where students and parents will need to come over and back over the bridge so there could be a bit of you think it's bad at the moment is what I'm saying it could get even worse so I don't know I don't know at what pace they're working at but it does appear to be rather slow at the moment but as I say I'm sure there's a plan if somebody can tell us what the plan is love to know. 1850 Now we continue today with our Awalia feature which is described as the one-stop shop for those in home mortgage arrears and joining me this morning is Alan McGee who is a personal insolvency practitioner known as a PIP. Good morning to you Alan. Good morning. And and you're welcome to the programme and we want to take a look today at court decisions first and what happens when there is a court uh, decision. Can somebody appeal a court decision? Yes. uh, In the insolvency process uh, what happens is that the debtor would would meet with a PIP and they would obtain a protective certificate and then a creditor's meeting would subsequently be called and a proposal put to the creditor's meeting. And if it is rejected in certain circumstances where the debtor is looking to retain the family home, that rejection can be appealed to the courts. And this system was brought in in 2015 following the what became known as the bank veto. Prior to that, the banks had an effective veto on proposals and could reject them unreasonably and there was nowhere to go. So the government, in an effort to uh, stop this, brought in the appeal mechanism. So that's that's a good move and that's helping to keep people in their homes. It, it has had a, dra- a dramatic effect on the uh, insolvency process because it has led to a raft of high court decisions that are binding on the circuit courts and have strengthened the position of the debtors in the insolvency and weakened the hand of the banks. Okay, we want to look at some other uh, issues that would affect somebody, particularly when they're going to court. What happens if you've got two borrowers uh, on a mortgage, which often happens, husband and a wife, relationship has has, uh, broken down and one borrower wants to engage with the bank and the other just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. What happens in a case like that? 
this was a big problem for people prior to the insolvency process and the appeal mechanism because heretofore banks wouldn't deal with one uh, debtor on their own. They insisted on having both borrowers participating. So if you had a situation where one borrower had emigrated or the parties no longer talked or one person was putting their head in their sand, the person who wanted to resolve their issues was stuck in limbo. But in a case that was held uh, heard in the High Court, the High Court decided that personal insolvency allows one debtor to participate in respect of the debts as it affects them. And arising from that now, we've had a raft of, of insolvency arrangements that have been approved where there is only one borrower participating. Because a lot of those were really just left in limbo, weren't they? That is the problem because, the, uh, without getting too technical into it, the banks were relying on a different act and weren't willing to engage with one borrower on their own. So this here uh, has facilitated borrowers in that position to move forward. And I've had a nu- numerous cases in that in that line where we've gone ahead and done it on behalf of one borrower alone and restructured the mortgage and kept them in the house. That's good. That's great. That's great news. And when somebody's in the insolvency process, we hear of living to reasonable living expenses. What's, what's meant by that? Okay. What the insolvency service did was they set down a basic minimum standard of living and they have that set out in tables which would cover the cost of food for the people and the family, uh, travel and phones, personal health, that sort of thing. That's all set out there. So there's a basic minimum required. And heretofore, what the banks were doing was saying that if you did, if you were to put forward a proposal that had you anyway underneath that basic minimum, they were rejecting the proposal. Now, the court has recently held that they, there, it is permissible for somebody to go under that level if they can show that they can live to the standard in order to keep their home, which is a big plus now for people, so that if there was a year where a child was finishing off school and it was going to be tough for one year, mm. they can show that they can cut their cloth for that year. They can still go ahead and make a proposal that will help them keep their home. What about support from family members? We've seen parents helping out. That's one that has been uh, decided upon in the High Court in the last month. And what has it done is the court has said that, yes, it is uh, permissible to rely on support from family members, whereas before this, the banks were only considering the debtor's income on their own and weren't willing to, uh, to, to take into account family support. The High Court now has said that that is permissible and even and just this week I was able to get a proposal approved by creditors for a woman who's living on a disability benefit of €879 Euro per month wow. and we've restructured her mortgage to €621 Euro per month with the assistance of her adult children and that's much less than she would pay in rent anywhere else and she gets to keep her home. And that's the big one, the, the big one always, Alan, is people wanting to, to keep their home. Is it possible to write down a mortgage to current market value? We know people bought during the boom and uh, their houses, uh, what they paid for their house, it's not worth anything like that today. Yeah, the the banks initially refused to consider any proposals that would write down the mortgage on a family home. 
they just uh, would vote no against all of them. But the court has now confirmed in several decisions that it is permissible to write down the mortgage to the current market value with the balance of the debt to be written off. And this is only available through a formal personal insolvency arrangement where the people are keep where the people can keep their home and it's affordable. So I've had many cases, as has other insolvency practitioners, where we've written the property down to market value. But one caveat that listeners should be aware of is that it's not an automatic right to go to uh, market value. It is you're writing down to what's affordable. So if you can afford market value and a small bit more, well, then you would be expected to pay that. But if all you can afford is market value, well, then it is permissible to write down to market value. And then poor payment history, because a lot of people, when they end up with this situation, they will have a poor payment history. Yeah, and I suppose poor payment history arises from a couple of factors. You can have a situation where people just have lost their employment and have no income and therefore couldn't pay it. Or in some cases, people got very bad advice and were told not to pay it. And in those scenarios, the courts were uh, were rejecting uh, any proposals where the the creditor or where the debtor had poor payment history because the creditor always complained of that. But the High Court has held that poor payment history in the past is not a bar to getting a, a proposal approved, especially where the payment history has improved and they're paying what they can after they meet a PIP under the Awalia scheme. I, I had a case there where I was involved last month in the High Court where the judge described the payment history prior to meeting the PIP as appalling. But he commenced correct payments in line with the PIA proposal after meeting with the PIP and now got his PIA approved and he kept his home. OK, and, and Alan, the, your advice, and uh, as always, and to anybody listening who is in difficulty are are aware that they may get into difficulty in the coming weeks and months, you know, that they may know that their job is going to go, for example, is to seek help and advice as early as possible. Is, is, isn't that the key? Absolutely. Uh, seek it as early as possible. There are people out there who can help uh, in the form of MABs and they can go straight to an insolvency practitioner themselves and to engage because... Sometimes people, they feel swamped by it and they may be getting poor advice. Whereas if they get the correct advice at an early stage and a plan is put in place for them to make payments that's affordable to them, they may be in a much better position to to save their home. And I suppose another point to make on this is it's never too late. Mm. We've I've had situations where the sheriff was coming out to repossess a home and we were able to get a protective certificate to stop that and uh, put forward a proposal that kept the people in their home and that the bank agreed to. So it's never too late, but the earlier you do it, the better. Okay, listen, good, great advice as always, Alan. Thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. And uh, of course, uh, to anybody listening, if you feel you need the help and advice from uh, Awalia, uh, you could be eligible for free face-to-face financial and legal advice under the Awalia uh, service. Their number is 0761 
2000. That's 0761072000. And thanks to Alan McGee of Alan McGee and uh, Company, who is a personal insolvency practitioner. 1850 John Paul continues to take your calls. A lot of calls coming in about South Dock. Remember, we dealt with this earlier when we spoke with uh, John Paul O'Shea who's talking about worries and concerns. There's media reports that there is a lack of funding. There's not adequate funding from the HSC to cover the cost of uh, South Dock. And there also, I think, is a much bigger problem is trying to find doctors to work for South Dock. That does seem to be an ongoing uh, issue and one you can throw all the money in the world at it. But if we don't have the doctors who want to work because it's antisocial hours as well, we're going to have a bigger problem. And there's a worry and a concern. There's 23 South Dock centres across Cork and Kerry and there's a worry that some of them will go. And of course, we always are worried that it's the rural ones. It's always the rural ones that seem to go uh, first. Pat from Count Turk says, it was, it was interesting to listen to Fine Gael councillor John Paul O'Shea. He said at the end of the day, he could blame his own government for the South Dock fiasco. They're pumping all the money into the children's hospital. And if there is less money for the South Dock service, it could be because so much money is going into the children's hospital. So his own government is to blame for this. Uh, Katie in Newmarket says, what good is it to merge services if somebody is ill? If you have to travel to another area in order to access a GP, does that not completely defeat the purpose of having the out-of-hours doctor service that should be on your doorstep? And that will be the worrying concern of a lot of people. And Irene in Bandon says, whatever about South Dock, she's finding it hard to go to see her doctor in the normal GP practice. So any time she rings up, the surgery is just overstretched and is ever so busy. Whenever you want to get something checked or if you want an appointment, you're told you're going to have to wait a week as there are no appointments available. Same thing happens when you're trying to do a follow-up. Uh, Irene Abandon says, I'm not blaming the doctors um, because they are just working so hard, but it's the fact that other surgeries have closed. Doctors are leaving. Also, within surgeries, doctors are leaving, so it's reducing services. On the doctors that are left, they have to take over the other patients. It's a big problem in towns right across Cork. So no wonder the South Dock is in uh, trouble. And actually, there's a number of people are complaining about that, saying that when you try to get into your own doctor, you can have a difficulty getting an appointment at your doctor. Uh, because they are so busy. 1850 333 103. In the next hour, we will speak to Nicole Ryan, um, offering words of advice to young people following the death of Jack Downey from some drug that he ingested at the weekend. And uh, we are also looking at a new online service to help people find the perfect pet. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. That's all coming up. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of calls and texts coming in. Let me catch up with some of them before we get to topics we've been covering. Jerry has been on. So just, just to let you know, it's 139 days to Santa Claus, 139 days to Christmas. Why we would need to know that, Jerry, I don't know, but I suppose it'll be important to some people. Thank you for uh, your text. And we did another listener on who is in Mallow, is looking for an early morning taxi for tomorrow morning. The person needs to be at the train station for 10 to 7 in the morning getting an early train wants to know if there's any taxi companies operating early in the morning in the Mallow area for tomorrow morning at the pickup point is John Moylan Park in Mallow if anybody could give John Paul a call on that 1850-333-103 and thank you to a listener Ellen thank you Ellen for this who said Patricia I've just received this email having recently renewed the tax on my car from my own search and in investigation of the email and its origin. It appears to be a scam but just to let other listeners know, thanking you says uh, Ellen and it was an email and it looks I mean it really looks like the real thing it's an email basically saying your latest vehicle tax payment failed it appears that some of the billing details associated with you might have expired or were otherwise changed and then it asks you to click and update and verify billing details and, and of course when you click on that they look for your bank details and that's where the scam uh, begins. And what they do is they send them out in the hope that somebody just has, like for example, only yesterday I actually renewed my car tax online. So if I got that email today, I might be fooled into thinking, oh God, something must have gone wrong with the payment yesterday and clicked on it. So you need to be very careful. Well done, Ellen, for checking up on it straight away and getting stuck in and working out that it was a scam so be aware that's a new one I haven't seen I haven't seen that particular one uh, before so thread carefully with any of those emails that you get Mary says Patricia suggestion to you on what to do with those high-vis vests that you mentioned earlier tell the listener to stand outside 
any rural church after Mass on a Sunday of the Vigil Mass on Saturday. There'll be lots of adults there that will need to be wearing them out in the countryside, says Mary. Thank you, Mary, for that suggestion. But I can tell you, we, John Paul says, we had a lot of calls in as well for people offering to take those 50 high-vis vests. So we've passed on details and hopefully each and every one of them have gone to a good home. And thank you to the original caller who contacted us early this morning uh, with the high-vis vests just getting rid of them because the company has changed logos and they're of no use and it would be such a shame to simply dump them as the listener said uh, thank you for that and also there was an email an, an interesting email in from a listener this is to do with the funerals if I can find it um, there's so many uh, Texts and emails coming in. Mary says, Patricia, I have in my possession a booklet which was issued by the Diocese of Cloyne a few years ago with some requirements for the family with regard to the funeral ceremony. Here are the guidelines for eulogies and the placing of gifts, the offertory gifts and how you need to place those uh, gifts on a table nearby, says uh, Mary. And they speak about the placing of Christian symbols. Now they do say that things like the Book of the Gospels can be placed on the coffin during the rite of reception and um, they, they allow for that. But then they say other symbols. Now they say things such as banners, mementos or photographs of the deceased person, etc. should be placed on a table nearby rather than on the coffin itself so as not to obscure or cover the Christian symbols which would themselves be of distinguished quality befitting what they signify. Well, that's certainly doesn't happen. I've been at many funerals where you'll have a lovely photograph of the person who's deceased and it's on the coffin but seemingly according to the guidelines from the Diocese of Cloyne it shouldn't be on the coffin it should be on a table nearby. They talk also about eulogies and they say a eulogy on the life of the deceased if it is indeed desired by the family should instead be delivered during the gathering at the home of the deceased person, obviously that will be before the removal, are at the funeral home, are at the gravesite following the committal prayers or even on a later date. But they're saying, according to guidelines, it shouldn't happen in the church. And they say, while it is permissible for one family member, if desired, to say a few words of thanks and appreciation on behalf of the family um, of the deceased at the beginning of the end of the Mass, pastors should ensure that the families do not feel under any obligation to do so and the priest, the celebrant, can himself offer thanks uh, to the assembly on behalf of the, of the family. But that's a thank you rather than a eulogy. But I suppose it depends on individual priests and those guidelines are there. They're offered as guidelines and they can get changed, I take it, and they certainly do get changed and it's up to individual priests and all priests are different when it comes to this. I mean, we've been talking about the reason that this all kicked off with one particular uh, priest from Grona Raw, her father, Thomas Walsh, who was the one talking about the appalling uh, altar gifts. And he was the same uh, priest who, were, who earlier in the year had criticised parents who select non-believers as godparents to their children. But not all priests agree with him. It's just, you know, it's this man's view. But it's interesting. He definitely has created debate, which was one of the reasons that he pushed it into the parish newsletter. He wanted to get people talk, talking about it. And I can even see from the number of calls we are receiving here and texts we are receiving here, it's split down the middle. Some people are very much agreeing with this priest and others are saying no, particularly that he's referencing a funeral. You know, it's such a sad, sad time for families that anything that brings any kind of comfort to them should be encouraged by the priest, not disencouraged. And certainly the items they want to bring 
in to remember their loved one, uh, he finds them appalling. That's not what people are telling us. They they feel it should be the very uh, opposite. It's what brings comfort uh, to the family. Okay, some other thoughts coming in with regard to funerals, says this uh, texture. Uh, each to their own. But what I particularly hate, says this texture, is when the coffin in the church is covered with a cloth. Hmm. Why are you against that? Uh, also, no time. I've no time for this new funeral crowd. This new funeral crowd that helped the priest all these people do are intruding uh, at a family time. And that's kind of part of the parish council, isn't it? Where you And that's to take pressure off the priest, I think, more than anything. because And because we have such few priests that they send out people on this you know, funeral crowd, is what the listener refers to it. I don't know what it's called. There must be some name on it. It's usually from the parish council. And they'll go out and they'll speak. They do it for christenings as well, don't they? I've, been, I've had some family christenings where you'll have lay people come in from the parish who'll talk through because the priest doesn't have, once upon a time, the priest would have done that, but they simply don't have time uh, anymore. Anyway, this is an objects. And I'm sure if anybody doesn't want somebody calling like that, you can just say, no, we're okay. I don't, you know, we don't want anybody calling. We don't want people in, intruding. But this listener feels it's, it is intruding at a very private family uh, time. And certainly the people from the parish that go out to do that work, the last thing they want to be doing is is intruding on family time. They're there for support. And I'm sure there's lots of people take great support from those people. But again, it's each to their own. It doesn't suit uh, everybody. 1850 Another listener wants to know why, why do South Dock need a driver? Well, I think that's got a lot to do with them working the antisocial hours and if they're tired it can be very dangerous to have somebody driving in the middle of the night you know while trying to they might have been able to try to get a little bit of sleep maybe uh, as well and when the when South Dock first got introduced that was one of the things that it came with a driver and there's backup support isn't there back in the surgery with triage nurses uh, and that and listen who thinks that needs to be uh, looked at uh, also with the backlog at your own doctor surgery not just at the South Dock the reason for this is the free GP cards and the amount of medical cards it's clogging up the system for the real needy patients are you saying that somebody that has a GP card isn't a needy person as well and isn't a needy patient I don't know how you can say that I think doctors practices are just busy because we don't have enough GPs I think it's got nothing to do with the amount of people that are on medical cards that are on GP only cards even though when they started giving out the GP cards to children there was a fear that parents who normally or before they had a GP card, if a child had a sniffle, they might have gone to the chemist and got a cough bottle. But because now it's free to go to the doctor, there are some patients that are, are abusing that. I'm not saying every parent is doing that, but there was always speculation that that's what would happen. And therefore then that would clog up the system and there would be less time then for other patients trying to get appointments. And certainly we are hearing from a lot of GP practices that patients are saying they're finding it hard. Certainly to ring up, say you wake up sick one morning, to ring up and try to get into a doctor's practice. You may have to wait a few days. It isn't always possible to get an appointment that particular day. And thank you to somebody who sent in a lovely text, just wanting to acknowledge and to say well done to everybody who turned up and who took part in any way in the homecoming of the Cork Under-20s, the All-Ireland winning team to the uh, Island Rovers GAA grounds in Rath, Baltimore on Monday evening last. A fantastic evening 
of entertainment and lovely refreshments was enjoyed by all. Thanks to all who helped out and attended. Those lads are a credit to all of their clubs. Congratulations also to our lovely captain Peter O'Driska he did the club proud no name on that just to acknowledge and we're glad to do that 1850 on the farmers and the farmers protesting Tom says Patricia it is only right and proper for people to boycott the Tullamore show has anybody considered that when the minister won't make an effort to intervene in the beef blockade where is Jim Daly at the moment no sign of him at the protest in Bandon he should be there showing solidarity with low-income dry stock farmers. Why is he not supporting them? Sean in Mallow says, I am a farmer myself and I don't have sympathy with the beef farmers. I know many farmers that have cattle in shed all summer long and throw in grass into them. And you have beef cattle standing in their own faeces on slabs. That was not the way they were meant to be produced. Cattle were meant to be out in the fields, lying in the sun, chewing the cud, not housed up in sheds. We are lowering our quality. I've actually gone off eating red meat recently, says Sean in Mallow. I don't eat red meat anymore because, for that reason, because of the way farmers are treating their cattle. They're trying to keep up with the big producers like those in New Zealand. Some not all farmers but some are only interested in profit some farmers are fantastic but where are the animal rights groups I'm always annoyed about this why are they not seeing what's happening when it comes to treatment of some of these animals that's according to Sean in Mallow and Sheila in Ballyvorney was reacting to Eamon from Newmarket who contacted us earlier to say he was intimidated and abused yesterday he took animals to a factory in the Midlands and he said he got abuse going into the factory he had a car in a trailer and on the way back out Sheila says you can tell Eamon that uh, who was who he wasn't trying. He got into the factory in the Midlands. If he had stood with the farmers instead of going against them, like the way all nurses stood together, if we could get everybody to stand together, this issue would be sorted sooner rather than later. And Tom in Bantry says everybody possible needs to support the farmers, as it is the man in the shop and the factories making the money, and not the farmers. We all need to support them. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three and a North Cork listener wants to know are any listeners getting calls from air about your internet they rang the last three days says a North Cork listener that sounds to me like a scam be very very careful The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie Fremont Summer Kyoto's sessions are continuing in Fremont Heritage Centre. They're on every Wednesday night for the month of August. Half past eight start. Well worth a visit. Music, song, dance and storytelling. And this week's special guests tonight, Alan Finn and the friends of the Shandrum Katie Band. The Clonakilty Guided Historical Town Walks are continuing every Wednesday throughout August. They meet tonight. Michael Collins statue at seven o'clock with the walk lasting an hour and a quarter. Ballyfahan Bingo is on tonight at, na- at 8. Ballyfahan Community Centre, €5,000 jackpot every night with a guaranteed payout of over €4,000. 
proceeds going to the upkeep of the hall. And the North Cork Ladies Football Under 15 Development Programme for Girls, born in 2004-2005, commences tonight in Kilshannock and continues from 7 to 8.30pm every Wednesday night for the month of August. Registration will open at 6.15 this evening or you can register by contacting Adele Heffernan on 089 418 And the Chernobyl Children's Trust, they're holding a golf classic three-ball scrambler. It is on this Friday in the Water Rock Golf Course in Middleton. All funds raised going directly to helping impoverished and disadvantaged children living in the Chernobyl zone. All are welcome. And you can contact Dara on 085-1340405. And actually, seeing as I've just mentioned the uh, Chernobyl uh, Children's Trust, just to let you know, if you get a, if you've bought the copy of the Echo today, there's actually a feature. I'm featured in the Echo in the in, inside the Wow section. I think it's uh, called. It's an interview actually I did with our own Martina O'Donoghue, who's uh, here keeps us uh, entertained throughout the afternoon. And I did an interview with her following my trip back to Belarus on the May bank holiday weekend. God, it seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, now, when I went back, I hadn't been back to Belarus in 13 years and I had a lovely chat with Martina after I came back and she's put it into a fabulous article, I have to say. And it's more it's more a feature on myself and Marsha as well. And we she got me to remember the adoption and the adoption process and what it was like when I first saw Marsha and uh, she's put a really lovely, lovely piece together and there's some photographs of that trip that I did to Belarus back in May but also a lovely photograph, some lovely photographs of Marsha as well just to let you know it's in today's Echo. This is the Court Today replay on C103. If it's happening in your locality it's on C103.ie Whether it's fundraisers, major events or news from your area, the C103 Regional Reports provide community information from areas such as Avondu, Duhallo, Buttevant, East Cork, Ballyhowra, Mill Street and more. To hear a report from your area, log on to c103.ie and click on Regional Reports. C103, the heartbeat of your community. Sunday mornings, C103 brings you interviews with actors and theatre directors, concert news and show reviews, live studio performances and festival roundups, exhibition info and the very latest film news. The Arts House, Sunday mornings, 8 till 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. The great taste of home. On C103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 now, yesterday we discussed the tragic loss of life of 19-year-old Jack Downey from Clamel, who died having taken suspected ecstasy or MDMA while attending the Indie Music Festival in Mitchellstown. Everybody's thoughts were with Jack's parents and what it must have been like for them to have received that devastating call last Friday. Well, a Mill Street family know exactly what it is like. And joining me with her thoughts, uh, Nicole Ryan, who lost her 18-year-old brother Alex in uh, January of 2016. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Nicole. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, And you're very welcome. When you heard about Jack at the weekend, did it take you right back to what it was like when you and and your mother got that call? It did. It was, um, you know, it was horrendous. Uh, I didn't expect it to put me off so much as it did. 
Um, but I heard about him and I was just kind of watching the news and stuff like that and following the story and I was just hoping he'd be all right. I was just hoping he'd pull through and it'd be different uh, for his family than it was for us. Um, but then sadly, when I found out on Sunday evening that he'd passed away, I I just spent the whole time crying, really, because I just felt so like empathetic, I suppose, towards his family because I just knew how they were feeling at that moment to get that awful news. And you would have been able to have pictured them at the ICU, the, the yeah. ICU unit at CUH. Yeah, I know that ICU inside out. Oh, no. Walk there blind. Um, I just, yeah, it was horrendous. And since your family lost, um, Alex, you've been raising awareness about drug use and, and the dangers of uh, drug use. Will we ever get that message across that drugs can and do kill? I think we are. We definitely are. Um, especially in the last three years since I started Alex's Adventure, um, it has been impactful. I've reached a good number of kids and I'm relaunching it now in September, so I'm hoping to reach even more. It's something that we need to teach them in school. And after that, you know, they just progress and they learn more and more. And we keep, have to keep giving them education in college and then, you know, throughout life because it's a problem and it's a societal problem because it doesn't just affect, let's say, the life that's lost, like my brother's and his family. It's actually a problem that affects, you know, everybody, the wider community, costs, all this kind of stuff. So by educating young people and just, teaching them about life choices and life decisions and building their resilience to make them, you know, allow them to stand their ground and be, like, if they want to say no, then say no and mean it and not be deterred um, because there's a lot of things in social media, social influences that, you know, drive young people to try things um, and there's not a lot of counteraction, you know, things like Alex's Venture and stuff like that out there to counteract that social media presence and all the influences that they have. And parents uh, need to talk as well. I mean, I know at the weekend, uh, like you, I mean, I was just, you know, I kept checking social media and I kept checking Twitter to see if there was any update on on Jack's story. Uh, and I was with some other uh, some other par- parents who have children. No, there was no, we nobody at the actual festival, but parents who had children of that age. And I I couldn't get over the number of parents who were saying, "Oh well, I'm lucky with mine because I know mine would never do." <laughs> I mean, we need to wake up and smell the roses a bit, don't we? It, yeah, yeah. It's a misconception because we all think that, like, I, I'm not a parent, but I'm assuming parents are like, well, I've educated my child and they know better. But just telling them that they shouldn't do something and that something's bad is not, it's not good enough. They need to know why it's bad. They need, they need to open conversations. And what a lot of parents feel as well, I can completely understand this, they don't know themselves a lot of things, like what's out there at the moment. And it could be a very hard conversation to have with your child um, but once you start it and once you are not patronising or you're not you know talking down to them they start to see that they can be trusted with conversations adult conversations like this and it's good to start talking about it because it removes the stigma and if something happens down the line where they're faced with a choice or something like that they can actually go to this trusted adult which could be your parents yeah. and talk to them about this The one thing that uh with the with Jack's death was his friends reacted responsibly in that they yeah. took him to the medical tent at the festival when he became unwell, which was early, be- bearing in mind, on uh, Friday. You've been advocating for young people to learn what to do in an emergency situation. I mean, his friends really did the right thing. His friends are, you know, they they did 
fantastic work. Like, I can't commend them enough. Um, uh, what they did was just brilliant, you know. It's what I wish uh, what I wish they would have done for Alex. Um, could have changed his whole life, really, um, or the outcome. But, um, yeah, young people need to know CPR. And it's not just CPR for an overdose. CPR is fantastic for any, mm-hmm. you know, any circumstance. It, same rules apply. Um, and yeah, I've been advocating. I've been we do like a module on CPR and just teach them. And what I've come out from the learning is that they want to know a lot more about the CPR. They want to know what happens in different scenarios and what happens. What do you do? Who should you call? So something young people are really really interested in. And if they know how to save somebody's life in cases like that, they can do something about it. Just like Jack's friends, like like that's fantastic because. Sometimes the young people get scared and run away and yeah. don't know what to do. And and not to be afraid. I mean, they went straight to the medical yeah. tent with Jack. They straight away said, this is what he's taken. We've taken the same thing. We haven't had the same reaction. But they were able to, you know, they didn't panic, uh, even though I'm sure exactly. the level of panic must have been so frightening for these young lads. But, you know, they will be, and I think it's only in, in time, they'll be commended for what, they, for, 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 for what they did. There's been calls, uh, Nicole, for drug testing sites at New Music festivals. I'm really interested in your views on that. Um, I I have quite my own personal views are different to you know what the program is and how we teach and how we talk. But I think that you know they're kind of they make sense. You have them in the UK. You have them all over Europe. You have them in Australia and things like that. What it would allow people to do is that when they're getting their drugs tested. It's like an intervention, basically, at that stage. So you're identifying people, and these are the demographic of people who are just recreational users. These aren't habitual users, which kind of drugs or drug laws and stuff like that policy doesn't account for in Ireland at the moment. And you can test your drug, whatever. The only problem is that they are very limited in what they do. So while they can maybe test the drug that you have, they can't tell you the strength. Mm. So while you can have you know, MDMA, it could be a really strong MDMA, which could lead to an overdose. It could still lead to you being in hospital. You just take too much, and it'll only it's only as good as the drug it's testing for. So while a lot of drugs are cut with a lot of different things, as you know, you know it can tell you okay, this is MDMA, but it can't tell you that there's graphite in it, and that, that there's you know cement, that there's all these other things in it as well. So they're limited, but I think it's a good it's a good way of intervention. When you when people come there, because then you can question them, and like you have addiction services and train people there, and they can ask people, you know, why is it that you're doing drugs, or you know, do you really need to, and just have that discussion with them to make them think, and what actually happens when people find out a lot of the time that what they have wasn't actually what they have, they just throw it away, and you know, that's saving somebody's life. And Nicole, your main message to young people. Um do you try to get across to them that they need to think of the impact not just on themselves but on the lives of their families and, and friends? I mean, your your life and, and your mom's life and Jack's parents, I mean, Jack was an only child. Your lives will never be the same again. No, it's... Um, the whole programme is based on a lot, of, obviously, on drugs but it's based on the choices that we make and the impacts that they have. You know, every choice we make has a good and bad consequence, no matter what it is that we do. And we need to be mindful of that, because while it'll impact yourself, all the people that are around you, your community, your area, all these things that you have to put into consideration when you're making a choice like that. And just think how it'll affect somebody else. 
Okay, and and how is how's your mom and yourself doing since Alex's death? I mean, I couldn't believe when I did the re- when I was you knew you were coming on the pro- the program. I would have thought he only died last year. I can't believe it's 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 three years ago. I know. It sometimes it feels like incredible. Sometimes it's thirty years. You know, it's just kind of all over the place. Um, it's just something that we ha- we we just readjust to every day, and we just live with now. It's, it doesn't like I know it hasn't gotten easier for us yet. People say it will, but you know, I think it takes time, and yeah, it just takes a lot of time. And then something like Jack's death just brings you straight back into that mind frame of where you were, and just yeah, it's just the feelings and the thought processes and everything that they're going to have to go through now is, you know, just unbearable to think about. Yeah, and they just have to go through it. God help them. They just have to go through it. Did you, by the way, because I know with, in Alex's case, and I, and I don't know, uh, we didn't, if it's the same with Jack, uh, you took the, the very brave decision of, of donating his organs. Mm. Have you yeah. ever heard from any of the families? Uh, we actually heard from the man that got his heart. Oh. It was really nice. Oh. <laughs> uh, we don't know of him, um, but he talks. We send letters to the organ donation, obviously, organisation. That's how we communicate. We send Christmas cards to him and stuff like that. He sends us back. Oh. Um, it'd be nice to meet him someday because, you know, he has the most kind of important piece of Alex, which is the heart that we gave away. So we'll keep in touch. And, you was, know, yeah, was, that, was that lovely to receive that first that first communication? must have been really, really special. Was. Yeah. It really was, yeah. Just to know that, like, he's willing to talk to us as well. Yeah. Sometimes, they, you know, people don't. But yeah, yeah, they don't. Yeah, not, not everyone is able to write that letter. And, and I have a really good friend of mine who had a, a liver transplant, and uh, she did. She wrote that letter, and, and just how important it was for her to be able to reach out and just and say thank you. It's the most incredible gift that you that you that you gave. It's just it's amazing. Uh, listen, Nicole, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Pass on our you best too, wishes to, to to your mom, and uh, keep keep doing the great work that you're doing because it's it's incredible. Thank, thank you. you for that. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, the lovely. Uh, Nicole Ryan from uh, Mill Street uh, remembering her brother Alex and uh, may he rest in peace 1850 uh, uh, John Paul taking your calls we don't have uh, Peter Dowdell today he's back with us though next uh, week but we're going to take a break and we're back with a new online service to help people connect with their perfect pet Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day Now you can win thousands of euro I to say thank you for listening to C103. Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Tune in to win weekdays from 6am on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 The Pet Bond is a new online platform where people can safely source new pets. The service is run by vets who ensure that animal welfare is of the highest. Pet Bond was found by veterinary surgeon Tim Kirby, uh, who joins me uh, on the programme. Good afternoon to you, Tim. Good afternoon. And thank, you? and thank you for taking time out to, uh, to talk to us. Tell no me problem. about Pet Bond and how and why you set it up. Yes, I, I'm actually qualified as a veterinary surgeon myself, Patricia, for the last 17 years. And several years ago in practice, I was presented with a young couple who had just sourced a new pet. Now, the pet they had sourced, they had sourced it online and they had been assured at the time 
that the pet was perfectly healthy, that it was vaccinated, that it was microchipped. And unfortunately, as we later found out, it wasn't. And the poor little dog was only a four-month-old Labrador called Sparky. And I actually ended up doing quite a serious operation on Sparky to save his life. And it was only then, Patricia, really, that I realised that the existing systems that were in place for people looking to source a healthy pet and a happy pet didn't actually exist. And that's really where the idea for Pet Bond came about. So did Sparky probably came out of a puppy farm? Did he? Yeah, when we actually did our our review afterwards, Patricia, we realised that he was sold by somebody who was not the original breeder who had said that they were. And also he had not been vaccinated or he had never been treated by a vet at his very, very young age. And that is unfortunately one of the big problems that we're currently seeing at the moment is the public you know, with the best of intentions are trying to source the pets and we have some people that are providing pets that are not socialising them properly with their mothers at the critical stage of their lives and also the pets are not being treated properly and unfortunately a lot of these pets, Patricia, then end up in rescue centres when they shouldn't. Yeah, uh, and I know we've got puppy farms here in Cork is a huge problem, particularly in the, in yes. the, in the north uh, Cork area. And no matter right. how much we try to get the message out to people, uh, we inevitably, people are still, these people are staying in business, so people are still buying right. from them. So somebody goes right. on to your website, Pet Bond, and you yes. obviously have breeders there. We do, Patricia. So what we have done is we have two options because people always like to choose we have a lot of people like that young couple that decided, OK, we get a puppy, we'll bring it up from birth, we'll keep it for the rest of our lives. And that is perfectly fine because a lot of people want to choose that option. Now, what we also offer is we offer a free service for rescue centres where we encourage people to take a rescue centre pet as well. Well done. Because we have so many pets coming into rescue centres that should not be there. And our rescue centre partners are doing so much. They're working so hard and they're doing everything they possibly can to try and rehome these pets. So what we're saying to people is, if you do choose to get a puppy, well, then you need to know who you're getting the puppy from. And you also need to know that the puppy has been socialised and as well that the puppy is healthy. So it's critical for us that we get to know somebody if they tell us that, you know, that they are a breeder, that they're a safe breeder, they're an ethical breeder, and also that they're a reputable breeder as well. So we're very, very different, Patricia, that we have a very, very unique quality assurance system in place, which allows us to review key points of information before anybody could even suggest to us that they are an ethical and trusted breeder. Well done, well done. So so the idea would be if there's a particular type of dog you want, you can log on to your website and find a breeder breeding that type of dog. You could. So what we do is we ensure that the public, if they, you know, if they're looking for a specific type of dog, what we do is we assist the person as well because we find a lot of people that aren't sure about what they actually want, and it's very, very important that they get the right pet at the outset. So we, what we try and do is we try and create the bond of a life for people so that they can keep the pet for the entirety of its life, as opposed to deciding down the road. Well this isn't really the pet that we thought we were getting or this mm. is the pet that suits our lifestyles now. So we have a team of vets in place, Patricia, that help the people at the very, very outset. And then, you know, once we've made an informed decision together and we 
we, we decide that that is a suitable pet for you and your, your, your life at that stage, well then, we basically connect you with somebody that we have established is a reputable person and you follow the conversation from there. And as the conversation progresses, we're always there as backup for the person as well. And at any point, we're there afterwards once somebody sources the pet as well. So oh. it's a, a complete service. And again, as I said, our mission really, Patricia, is to help people um, and also to help pets so that we do not have pets that are sick and that are not socialised properly growing up and ultimately ending up in rescue centres that are already stretched. And then we always think the best way of all is to rehome, is to take an animal that needs a home. And we've often discussed it on this programme because we, we do a weekly uh, yeah. pet slot, uh, Tim. And there's nothing like the love you will get from a rehomed animal. It's as if they know Correct. you're giving them a second chance. You are. I mean, I've rehomed uh, pets myself, Patricia, as well. I've just got a little dog here next to me. Yeah. Um, and she's one that we took ourselves recently, myself and my wife. And as you say, they've got that extra sense where they do feel that somebody has given them a second chance in life as well. And it often, you know, I've thought long and hard about it. And I often thought that that experience for that little puppy going through a rescue centre itself should never have been the case. Yeah. That if the puppy was sourced properly by people that understood it, and if the puppy was properly reared, the likelihood is that it would never, ever have ended up in a rescue centre. So what we're trying to do is it's almost like tr- treatment of the existing problem with so many rescue centre pets and preventing other healthy pets going into that situation. Because as you correctly say, they're the most loving creatures in the world. And, you know, they're literally what we're trying to do is do everything we can to make sure that they are a bond for life with people. Well done, well done. And you can, I was on your website yesterday, people can view some of the animals that are available for rehoming on petbond.ie. They, yes, they can indeed, Patricia. So if anybody just logs on to petbond.ie, they can have a look. And what actually happens then, Patricia, is once you press the inquire button, that connects you up with the rescue centre pet. And, you know, they do a home check as well and they see if it is a suitable situation for you to take this particular type of dog as well and we work with registered rescue centres and we have some fantastic partners that we literally couldn't do enough for them to connect the public with these rescue centre pets as well and as I said even if somebody decides well you know like that young couple with Sparky if we if they do decide that well we want to get a puppy well then we need a better system where these people can source the puppy and do it safely and are you nationwide? We are expanding, Patricia. We are based in Dublin. I'm initially from Kerry myself. Okay. So we have an office down in Tralee as well. But our service, the online service, is we're operational nationwide. Yeah, yeah. And obviously we know the big demand in Cork as well. Um, we have some fantastic rescue partners there and we would welcome any registered rescue partners in Cork and all over the country as well. And really, Patricia... It is something that's going to be driven by the public. You know, it's the people out there who are going to support causes like this. We're a social enterprise. We're here, as I said initially, to do good by the pets and the people who want to do this properly. Because as you correctly said, a pet is for life, regardless where you get it. Mm. So we need, we all need to respect that and we need to make these changes. Well, I, I loved the idea when I heard about your, your website because, you know, I think if people follow the 
advice that you're giving on petbond.ie we could actually end the scourge of puppy farms we could put these people out of business if nobody's going yeah. there to buy pups they're not going to be in business that's true Patricia and you, you're quite right and it's something I thought long and hard about in practice as well and I thought okay could we do this and you know you watch changes in legislation and you watch various people at quite senior levels but the reality is nothing really effective has ever happened in the space so it's like supply and demand. So if you cut off the supply chain at a critical point and you put certain barriers in place where the people that are doing it so badly and what they're doing is unethical, that you can basically cut their supply chain and welcome in the people that are doing it properly, support them and educate everybody as well. You know, and I think that's key. Once we get enough people together and we start gluing together the different people with a common goal of benefiting pets, and the people involved in this, as you rightly said, we can actually create change. And that's what we're all about here. And we started a new initiative as well, Patricia. We're actually a social enterprise. And we've been shortlisted as the Social Enterprise Ireland uh, nominee for quite an important award this year. And we, as part of that, we're running a Paw for Paw campaign. So for every pet that's sourced through Pet Bond, what we do in return is we donate a life-saving vaccine to another pet. So it can be a rescue centre pet, or, for example, we're working with certain people in Dublin from the underprivileged backgrounds. We give them free vaccines for their dogs, and I run those clinics myself and my team here. And that is something that we're really proud to do. That's a great initiative. You know, as I said, we're, we're just trying to help as many pets and people, Patricia. That's all we're about. Okay, so a Kerry man living in Dublin, do you get back to Kerry much? We do. Um, probably this time of the year, a, a bit more, Patricia. As I said, we're, we're, we're trying to expand Pet Bond as well. Um, and we see there's such a demand out there from the public with it. And the people at Kerry and Cork as well have been highly supportive of it. And it is something, you know, we're trying to galvanise people around the concept. And again, the people at Kerry have been so good in getting this off the ground and supporting us at early stages with it. And, you know, we're, we know there's so many good people out here, Patricia, well, there's so many change. animal lovers and, and because whenever an issue comes up of animal cruelty I mean people are just you know right. they just there's just this, and there's great rehoming centres and, and people just want the best for animals people just want to see they an do. end end to cruelty and I think petbond.ie is certainly a step in the right direction we wish you continued good luck with it Tim no doubt we'll speak again but in the meantime thank you for that Thank you, Patricia. And thanks for joining us. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Tim Kirby there, a veterinary surgeon who set up petbond.ie. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. C103 Anthems. C103 Anthems. Continue to inspire generations. Songs that continue to inspire generations. C103 Anthems. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Pork's greatest hits. C103. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.